then I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, and we will be considering verses 7 to 16. We'll start our reading of God's Word in verse 7, or uh, in verse 6, excuse me, and then read to verse 16. Jonah chapter 1, verse 6 to 16. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may uh, know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they said, called up out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's end the reading of God's word and let us seek his face in prayer once again. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for this service of worship where we can gather into your presence. We pray, O Lord, that we might hear your word and that we might learn what you would have us to know. We pray that you'll open our hearts and minds by your spirit that we may hear your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to somebody briefly before the uh, worship service tonight where they asked the question. Now, we're going to looks like we're going to see Jonah go take a swim for a little bit. And that's exactly what we are going to do. Uh, as you remember from last week, as we continue on through the book of Jonah, one of the things that we, we learned last time is the Lord sent Jonah into Nineveh that he would uh, preach repentance to the great Assyrian Empire and the heart of the empire in Nineveh, and how he disobeyed the Lord's word and, and not going to the pagan nation and not going to the Gentile nation, that they would not receive or know the mercy of our God. Of course, we know that the reason had not yet been established as to why he left. We'll see some of that, but nonetheless, at this point, he does, and it invites the Lord's wrath. That it, it invites a storm upon uh, Jonah and the people that are around him on the ship. Now, as we come to this passage today, we, we see a little more of, of the chaos, as it were, on the sea. We see more of the chaos on the ship and, and the sort of... Uh, not so much questions in terms of pleasantries, trying to find out anything about him, but trying to eagerly 
uh, almost an, an angst, as it were, trying to figure out exactly who Jonah is and what is this thing that he has done for them. Of course, we know that it's his sin of disobedience as he has fled the Lord's presence. And as we see throughout the rest of the passage, we see a couple of different things as it relates to Jonah and the, and the sailors in this context. As they discover his identity, his sin is brought to light. And then, of course, we see how uh, the Lord answers the cries of the sailors on Jonah, and as Jonah is thrown into the sea, doing exactly what uh, the Lord had told him to do. But what, as far as a more practical uh, idea or understanding or teaching of, what this, of what's going on here in these verses, one of the things we learn from Jonah in this passage as he is cast into the sea and the storm is brought to an end, uh, we realize that an honest confession ultimately is what brings peace uh, with you and the Lord. An honest confession is what brings peace with you and the Lord. We'll see that at least in two ways. Beginning in verses 7 to 10, we know that uh, we need to confess our sin honestly as it will find us out. And then the second thing that we know is that even as we confess that sin honestly, we know there in, indeed is mercy. Honest confession, there is mercy as we seek to have peace with the Lord. Now let's look again at, under that first one of you will, your sin will find you out as you make an honest confession in verses 7 to 10. Now they begin, as they say in verse 7, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. Now, uh, as, as long as you've been reading your Bible, you will know that the, the, the practice of casting lots was, is very common throughout the, throughout the scriptures. Uh, sometimes the, the idea of casting lots comes with just simply as something as simple as casting die. You're, you're trying to you're, you throw your die with a particular certain outcome you have in mind. It's kind of like betting in that way. Now, in the ancient world, lots were often used in that way as well. If you look in your New Testament scriptures in Matthew chapter 27, you see how the Roman soldiers do the very same thing. They cast lots concerning Jesus' garments as to who will have them, as it was prophesied that they would do. So at least lots being cast are, are done in that way. But then there's another way, at least in a religious sense, in a uh, worshipful sense, that lots would often be cast also to discern or to determine the divine will. At least if you're in a situation like this, where you're where a, clearly... The gods, or a god, or the god, at least in, in our passage, is, is quite angry with something that's going on, and you don't know it, you would often, they would often take lots or, or whatever it might be, and they would just throw it or throw it around and let the divine uh, being, as it were, uh, let the chips fall where they may, so that you might know uh, what his will is. And they answer that question as to what they're casting them for. It says, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Uh, they're trying to discern, like, it, clearly their gods are not listening to them. Clearly their gods have not heard them. Clearly uh, none of them were actually going to hear them to begin with. And so they, they resort to this option of casting lots to, to find out at least if they will listen who it was that actually 
did it. And of course we know by our Lord's providential hand he was ultimately behind it. That they discerned through this act who it was that brought this storm upon them. And it was Jonah. Now you can almost imagine the fear and trepidation that could have most certainly come through Jonah's mind as he as the lots fall upon him. He's like, oh, I've been found out. They found out that I'm the reason. And of course, he knew that he was the reason. He knew that he was the reason. He's in a situation at this point, uh, one in which he cannot himself get out of. Reminds me of a, of a story that I've shared in conversation uh, at different times in the past, but when I was in college, I, I had backed into a, a car with that big old blue uh, tank of a truck that I had at one point. Uh, I sort of nicked the car and, and didn't, I didn't realize it, so to speak, and I ended up uh, driving away. <laughs> and as you would imagine, a 20, 21-year-old kid, I was, I was quite frightened as I, when I was leaving the library and, and coming, into the, coming back into the parking lot, I saw a friendly neighborhood Appalachian State patrolman uh, sitting behind my car, and as I was coming up to the truck, uh, he asked in a very polite way, are you the owner of this vehicle? Yes, I am. And I see him say over his microphone, his intercom, or, or whatever it is, we got it. <laughs> and... And I get, and I, I, I do, as it were, get dragged into the to the uh, lieutenant's or the captain's office, and uh, quite easily, as you'd imagine, I, I could have gone to prison right then and there because it does constitute a hit and run. Uh, but one way or the other, I knew at least in that moment when the officer said we got him, there's no way I'm getting out of this. Jonah's not getting out of this. Not only is he surrounded by sailors, but he is surrounded by a raging storm of the Lord's doing. We knew last week, or at least we learned last week, and, and that's even brought into the fore here, that Jonah's not going to be able to escape the Lord's sight. Certainly, his sin isn't going to either. His sin is not going to either. His disobedience isn't going to either. And that leads the, as they're found out, as it were, the sailors then begin to ask him these series of questions that we see in verse 8. Now tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us, Jonah. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? These aren't, as I hinted at earlier, these aren't questions that they're asking merely that they can get to know him. They're angry. They're scared. They're, they're, the, the, the language sort of gets you. It's, it's rapid fire questions. It's almost like an interrogation. It's like when, it's like when I was in that uh, police captain's office saying, you know, what were you thinking? And, you know, oftentimes when, when that happens, you know, you, you do get... Fairly, fairly nervous as it were. They're trying to get to the heart of the issue. They're trying to get to the heart of what is this that has come upon us, this great, exceedingly great evil. We didn't do anything as far as we know. 
but Jonah knows. And he answers the question. He brings those things to light. And as they ask him, you know, the sin that has, that has brought them here, his disobedience, he answers that in a, in a way that you would look at it reading it at first glance in verse, verses 8, each individual question, and then you look at his response, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. At first you would uh, probably imagine that he didn't really answer the question, but he did. He answers the question in this way. Well, yeah, I'm from the Hebrew people. I'm from the covenant people of God. I know of the Lord's mercy. I know of the Lord's grace. I know of the Lord's promises for those who repent. And not only that, I'll tell you who my God is. He's not the gods that you've been seeking. He's not one of the gods whom you've been praying to and pleading on. He's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the covenant Lord of my people who has led us out of Egypt, who has uh, softened my heart, at least we would, we would hope. And He's the same Lord who's going to use the Assyrians to take His people out of exile. And He's going to be the same God who's going to let the Babylonians lead the southern tribe of Judah out of, out of uh, Jerusalem and the southern tribe there. And He's going to bring them back and fulfill His promises. That's who my God is. And He's not... The sort of God who, as we see hinted at here with the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He's not a God of a particular territory. He's not a God of a particular uh, element of nature like the sea or the sun or anything like that. He's the Lord of all creation. So He knows what I've done. He knows what you've done. He sees it as clear as day. And it did not miss His purview. And they were very afraid. Like uh, the Hebrew usually will bring in uh, two, work, two of the same words to emphasize the, the nature of their fear. And with respect to Jonah, the fear is, uh, is something of a more holy and reverent fear, almost of a worshipful fear. But at least in, in their case, in verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid. It's not so much of that, though it's the same idea. They're afraid of the Lord's power. Hearing who Jonah is and seeing what his disobedience has brought upon them by the Lord of heaven, the God of heaven, who created the sea and the dry grounds. He controls all of these things. His wrath is exceedingly great for Jonah's secret sin. Can you imagine how afraid they would be? How much more would they have been afraid to see what he says in verse 10? And they knew he was fleeing the presence from the Lord because he had told them. All of this should bring us into this singular truth. That any secret and secret particular sin that you and I may harbor and have. That we think we're fooling people by... Holding on to it. And nobody else knows but us. We're fooling nobody. The Lord knows. <clears throat> the reality is that 
oftentimes, and, and even for myself, there are particular sins that we have, whatever they may be, I, I couldn't go through all of them or any of them, really, because everybody's is so different. But at least as far as the truth goes, that we hide and harbor our sins, thinking that we have fooled people, even maybe even ourselves, into believing that it's not so bad. I can get through it without being caught. Jonah's story is telling us tonight that that is most certainly not true. What would have been easier for Jonah to do is A, to have gone down to Nineveh and Assyria to begin with. The simplest thing for you and me to do is instead of trying to keep sin in the dark, trying to keep it in secret, is to confess it openly and honestly. Part of repentance in, our, in the Christian life, the ongoing nature of it, is to deal with sin in such a way as it realizes that it is a great poison that is crushing your Christian life each and every day. Now, often, I was reading an old Puritan this past week, Thomas Brooks by name. It is a really good book. I'd recommend it if you could get it called The Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And one of the ways in which he highlights that we do this is we'll say things in order to keep, keep things secret, keep things quiet. We'll say, well, you know, look at David and Peter, for example. Look at what they did. And the Lord forgave them. A, that's presuming upon the Lord's grace and His forgiveness. And that's probably worse. But He even brought in this truth as well. That whenever we think that, or whenever we say that, it's not that bad. And He'll just forgive us, maybe. We often miss the fact that David and Peter had a great deal of consequences that followed their sin as well. And that while, yes, they were forgiven, there was an element of repentance that accompanied with it all the days of their life. What we see with King David, for example, in Psalm 51, recognizing that the pain it's caused, not just to him and to his family, where he is, he, 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 his, his, his son, one of his sons is killed at the hands of another son. The other son uh, violates all of his concubines, runs him out of Judah, runs him off of his throne, and sets himself up as king as well. Not even a full generation after David's death, the kingdom is ripped in two. And King David also recognizes this. He has a clear sight of sin, the odiousness of it, the poisonous nature of it all. And he, for the longest time, thought that after he committed his sin with Bathsheba and, and sending Uriah off into the, into the front lines to be killed, he thought he got off scot-free. But the Lord, through the Nathan the prophet, proved otherwise. And even while King David himself received forgiveness in the end, yes, Look at the consequences that it had with it. What repentance it took. What confession it took. 
Yet the Lord did deal graciously with King David, didn't he? And not ripping the kingdom away from him. But really does and did leave someone on David's throne in the person of our, Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or how about Peter even? So I'll never deny the Lord. And the Lord even told him that he would. And he said, no, I won't do it. Three times he did it. He denied the Lord. And yet the Lord restored a man who realized what he did and ran away and locked himself in the closet, essentially. Your sin will find you out. Because the things that accompany you with it are the bitterness and the anger and the frustration that I know I shouldn't have done this and I know that if I get found out then the consequences will be all the more severe. Had Jonah been honest at the beginning he wouldn't be in that situation to begin with and he most certainly probably wouldn't end up in the belly of the fish like he's about to in chapter 2. Punishment for sin is great, especially as we consider it when we when we harbor it and when we hide it. The reality is that it would be much better off for us, and not, not just to conceal it and thinking that we're going to somehow fool anybody else. Those things will be brought to light. Maybe not here, but certainly in heaven. And when the Lord, you're standing before the Lord's throne and he says, you know, what about this thing? What do you say? Thankfully, we have an intercessor, a high priest. But it's still grievous all the same. How much more grievous, let alone for unbelievers, but how much more grievous for believers to presume on the Lord's grace and hide in our own particular sins. Now, perhaps you do make a daily habit of doing just that thing, and your, your conscience is so weak that you, you, you find yourself... Uh, making a daily work of repentance time in, time out, and you feel that you are not getting anywhere and your, your conscience, your right standing with the Lord uh, is not getting you anywhere. Like, or at least you feel like your repentance is not getting you anywhere. Like I said earlier, we rest our confession, we rest our repentance, we rest our faith, not on the quality of that repentance, but on the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He has told us that the weary, those who are weary, burdened, and heavy laden, who are burdened with the weakness of our conscience, regardless of what it, what's, what it might be causing it, after, after having confessed it, we know that we can say, as the psalmist does, he removes as far from us, as far as east is from the west, any sin. He never deals with us as our wickedness demands. And so as we're sitting here kicking our own selves in the feet, as it were, because of sins that we have already confessed, having no peace, and believing somehow that the Lord is not going to forgive us, consider the psalmist. As we struggle with that peace of conscience, that he removes as far from us as far as the east is from the west, every sin and iniquity. 
and that he never deals with us as our wickedness demands. So while our sin may indeed find us out, that robs us of that peace of conscience, that as so long as we make that confession, we may have peace of conscience, so long as you're still struggling in either one of these ways, we also need to see in verses 11 to 16 that your sin may have mercy as well. And we see it in verse 11 to 13. We'll read it again. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Now, uh, they're, they're, they're the, follow me with this strain of thought as we're, we're seeking the, the peace even of the, the Gentiles, that there might be uh, mercy for them as well as for Jonah. They begin to make the, the other series of questions as well that, that also has a desperate tone to it as well. You know, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So it's, an honest, it's a real question, isn't it? You know, will, will you tell me what you know, any lack of confession of sin, for example, requires or what happens as a result? So what do I do with it? And that's exactly what Jonah's, uh, what Jonah's sailor friends at this point, because they're about to not be his friends, um, what they're about to do. And Jonah tells them. He tells them to just, just throw me in the sea. Yeah, you know, I know that this has come, this has come upon you because it's, a, because it's me, my disobedience, my sin, and you're all suffering for it as well. And yet they hear that, they take that, and yet they, 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 they still do something else. Now, again, as you, you read that at first, you've probably got a couple of questions on your mind. Now, if somebody taught me, told me how to get out of a situation, like how to get out of a ticket, don't you think I'd probably go do that? Yeah, I, I think I would. If somebody told me how to get out of a ticket, how to get out of prison, I would probably go try to find a way to do that. And yet, that's not what they do. But why? The answer to that question actually comes from with their uh, with what's said in verse fourteen. They called out to the Lord, "O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood." Based on on that, they believe that Jonah is innocent. In some way, he's innocent. Now, you got to understand a little bit of, of why they would would feel that way. One of the things that that I learned when I was in when I was in college doing my religious studies degrees and, and what we learn at the seminary is that as far as the the history of Mesopotamian gods go, they're, they're pretty vengeful. They're pretty wrathful. In fact, they they. I mean, you could be innocent, guilty. It, it doesn't really matter. They're going to pick on you just, just for the, just for the heck of it. That's what they're going. That, that, that's what they're going to do. 
it's like it's like blood sport for them to see humans suffer almost. I mean, like, I mean, seriously. And so for them, at least, they at least had in their minds that if they were to shed the blood of an innocent man, how much worse would it be? How much worse would it be for them if we take the life of this innocent man? And so they try to find another way. That, that's more of the rationale. It's not merely because they, they don't hear what Jonah's saying. It's like, yeah, we hear you. Don't know that that might be the best way because it could also come back on us. What happens if the gods don't actually do what you say they're going to do? Your God, at least. And yet, you can see in verse 14 the utter desperation at which they come to. Where they say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And then it says in verse 15, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging couple things that we can note from here. So far throughout this narrative, as, as we're seeing it as it relates to Jonah and the, the sailors, they have yet to call on the name of Yahweh. And, and of course, as we, we know that the word Lord in our English Bibles, capitalized L-O-R-D, is, is stand-in stand for the Lord's covenant name, Yahweh. This is the first time that they have actually done that in this in this chapter. So you can see something of the desperation. It's, it's, it's like saying, it's like a, it's like a non-believer that I, I, I heard once when I was in college saying, you know, God, if you're real, help me with this situation and I'll follow you. I mean, I don't like bargaining with, with God or anything like that, but I mean, it's the same idea, but like you get the idea. And it worked out for my friend in the end, and I mean, he started following the Lord. They're in a desperate situation where their lives themselves, or their lives itself, is like, we realize the power of this God, we realize what He has said to do, and if anything... What's it hurt to do? And so they do it. They throw him off the sea, into the sea, just as Jonah had said. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, I would want to highlight something here that I noticed in one of the commentators. He said, this isn't really a... This isn't really a uh, an issue of confession of sin or a confession to follow the Lord, at least on the sailors' part. And, and yet, it's one of the things that we need to see is, as far as we say, sin, for your sin you may receive mercy. At least for them, that, that's very much true in this case. Because they call upon a God that's not their God. They're Gentiles, they're pagans. They call upon a God who's not their God to save them. And He does. And what do they do? 
What did you do when you first became a believer? Did you just continue on as if nothing ever happened? Or did you go find someone to tell you more about who this Jesus is? You probably did the latter. And that's exactly what they did. They, they, they realized the, the, the nature of their plight and they, conf they confess the Lord's name, call upon him as, 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 as anything, any confession or repentance or, or joining themselves to the Lord can do. And they end up worshiping him anyway. And so in verse 16 when it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. This is the kind of fear that, that's Jonah's fear in the earlier verses, not their fear in verse 9. This is a fear of holy reverence in worship. Not fear itself for what the Lord can do. It's fear. Knowing that not only what the Lord can do, but what he has done in saving them from this storm. And they feared him exceedingly. And, and they offered sacrifices and they made vows. And obviously they're not going to make a sacrifice on the ship. I mean, they're probably going to go, when, once since the storm is settled, they're going to sail over to the side or to the nearest shore, and they're going to offer sacrifices there, likely of thanksgiving, of, a, of atonement, or, or something like that. And then they made vows. Really, the, the language is they vowed vows. And, and, and the, the idea that you get here with that is that they're not just Sacrificing sacrifices, as it says, or vowing vows. By doing this, they're joining themselves to the covenant Lord that they just called upon. For His power and for His work in salvation. The reality is, what the outcome of this situation is exactly what... Jonah was supposed to be doing in the first place. Going to the Gentiles. Going to them to, to offer this salvation. To offer this message as he was told to do. Regardless of the fact that the Assyrians were going to take the northern tribe into exile anyway. They were going to do that. But even for, for these sailors. He was, his, his work as a prophet is to call people to repentance. And to call people to the Lord. That they may know of his mercy. And they know the mercy. They know the mercy of the Lord. They know exactly what, he's, what he would do. They say in verse 6, uh, Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so we may not perish. And in this context, they indeed call upon him and they do not perish. And friends, it brings me back to what I was saying earlier. First of all, you know, I was going to say as far as repentance goes about the quality of your repentance, the quality of your faith. First, we, we should know that the Christian life is one of daily repentance and, and daily exercising faith in Christ. Yes, 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 that's, that's true. We should do that. But one of the things that often accompanies the Christian life is this, is this at least this, this is true for me and, I, and I'm sure it's true for others as well. Is this constant thinking that, you know, the more I repent, the more I exercise faith, is, is the more I'm going to earn favor with the Lord. Friends, that sort of thinking, that sort of thinking that 
if I just repent more, if I just pray more, if I just read my word more, and then, and then I'm going to earn brownie points with the Lord, that, that, and that's going to somehow get him off my back. That's not what's getting Gen- get the Lord off of Jonah's back, and that's not what ultimately gets him off of the, the sailors either. The reality is that, that our thinking needs to shift away from thinking of repentance in term, or at least thinking our standing before the Lord is dependent on the quality of our repentance and faith. Rather, we need to see it as dependent on the, the quality of a person. The Lord himself, who is the author and finisher of our faith from beginning to end, as we live the Christian life, there's never a, a sin so great or sin so small that he doesn't know about it, but also that he cannot forgive and remove his heart from you so that you might stand right before him. The quality of the our right standing before the Lord, our peace of conscience with the Lord is the word does not depend on the quality of your repentance. It does not depend on the quality of your faith. It depends on the quality of the work of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the object of your faith. He is the one who hears your repentance and says, the slate is wiped clean. You must make honest confession of sin. You don't need to conceal it. You need to... Endeavor to walk in, in, in the newness of life having confessed it so as not to repeat the same sins or same mistakes again. But even when you do, knowing that it's by the grace of God, it's a gift, it's, it's a saving, it's a, it's a, a gracious gift as it were to, for, uh, to, to, have, to be able to repent, to have faith. but that it rests and is anchored in a person. The peace of conscience that you can have in this life is to make that a daily habit and reminding yourself and telling yourself, even as we come to the Lord's day, to even hear time and time again That you can't save yourself and you can't repent enough. Because by His grace, the work has been done. And we receive and rest upon that alone for our salvation. The peace of conscience that we have, that these sailors know. Is on a person. That's why I say you believe that today. Let's pray. God of heaven, we thank you for these truths. And we thank you for your word and enlightening us to it. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will confirm these truths in our hearts so we may walk closer with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.